0: Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories, hosted by the Round 6 Gearheads, Brian Stubsky, Alex Welsh, and Brad King. Here on Episode 37, we're proud to welcome the host of Put Up or Shut Up, the lead announcer for the NHRA... And one of the men behind Bankshift.com, Mr. Brian Loans. Not even a uh, full forty seconds in and it it turns ugly with a (laughs) a pick.
1: Completely sideways.
0: What do you do from there? Do we just dive right in and go, hey, uh, do the intro, man, and get Why this not? thing rolling. Uh, hello. Uh, welcome to the round six podcast. Um, I'm, I'm glad to be out of the pit, so that makes me Brian. <laughs>
1: I'm uh, I'm, I'm Brad. I'm here.
0: I'm
2: just put the lotion on the skin, Alex. I'm here,
0: <laughs> and and with us, uh, speaking of uh, lofty <laughs> things, um, uh, we, we have the man with the golden voice. Uh, The lead announcer for the NHRA, the host of Put Up or Shut Up, one of the guys behind Bangshift.com, and just an all-around fun human being from what I know for the last three or four minutes, Mr. Brian (laughs) Lones.
3: Yeah, and I'm not regretting doing this at all at the
1: moment.
0: <laughs> oh, give it time. Give it, time. Give it,
1: give it five minutes.
0: <laughs> perfect. The average is at about the seven and a half minute mark um, okay, that's what, on the that's screen. When yeah.
2: You want to like go rearrange your sock
0: drawer. Yeah,
3: <laughs> perfect.
0: We start to pump in the binaural beats. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Brain will start vibrating somewhere around 411 hertz. <laughs> We've got a guy from scanners. Yeah, it's going to blow up like a water. Oh, yeah. We've only from lost scanners. one. We learned a lot since episode 26. <laughs> right, right. What episode are we on? Uh, 30, 27? 37. 37. <laughs> 27 and yeah. a half. Yeah. 37, huh? Okay.
2: Sound like movie clerks. <laughs> <laughs> We're not
0: going to. Don't let that snowball. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um well this is crazy, really professional but anyway uh back to what's most important here guys uh, how are you tonight sir
3: I'm good man no, it's great to, it's great to be on here with you guys and uh I certainly enjoy the i enjoy the show and uh glad to be uh glad to be a part of it tonight.
0: it's cool well thank, thank you. you man we will send the check to you tomorrow
1: the <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah>, friendship <laughs> payment. Red label,
3: baby. Red label.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Overnighted, that's right.
0: <laughs> I know uh, off-air talk had turned uh, beyond other things that we won't mention here because it is a family show. Talk had turned to uh, classes in NHRA and where things are headed right now. Sure. And, and we're having a really great talk, and the guys were picking on us Mopar people out there. Oh.
3: Yeah. I mean, you, all right, you guys are kind of like the easy the easy target though i mean really <laughs> well like it, the mopar the mopar fan is typically like the star trek fan of the automotive world right <laughs> oh, like very very dedicated to the cause
2: okay normally
3: awkwardly dressed maybe doesn't shower as much as they should these are the typical i mean some basic ground rules to
0: cover <laughs> you just throw me in a red shirt which i'm wearing tonight this is going great. oh yeah yeah Red
1: shirt. Oh man. Yeah. Well, I
0: don't like you anymore. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh,
1: I love him now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, it is, it's it's hard. I mean, it's it's not easy being a Mopar guy, especially growing up. I only mean, I grew up in a GM house, so I was again. I was always the black sheep. I guess um, so. Yeah. And to make it worse, I mean, hell, I'm Polish, so I have like everything going against me going this. Like,
3: You're hitting for the cycle, man. Yeah, you're definitely <laughs> touching
0: a wall here. Yeah,
1: hitting for the cycle. <laughs> <That's> perfect.
0: <sighs> I'm done.
3: <laughs> I'm go well, no, I mean, one of the things you know, one of the things we were talking about was was you know, uh, you know, almost unintended consequences and rules making when you know NHRA made the changes they did to the pro stock wasn't so much the fuel injection that really hampered the efforts of anybody racing a uh you know mopar backed or a heavy powered car it was the, the rev limiter and you know it's one of those things where we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna crank the rev limiter down to save parts and make uh you know foul springs last longer and rotating assembly parts last longer but ultimately they the combination that the dodge combination couldn't overcome that 10500 rpm limit
0: Hell, I mean, I've, I've had motors before that can't survive the 800 RPM limits. <laughs> <laughs> right.
3: Well, it's like the old thing, you know, a guy, you know, a guy asks you, well, this thing rev up to 9,000 and the answer is once.
1: <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably once. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you just gave me a great idea for a sketch comedy bit and we're going to run with this. It's going to be great. Oh, I like it. Polish Pentastar program. This is going to be awesome.
3: <laughs> I could see. Uh, I could see that syndication is in your future with that
0: idea already. Yeah.
1: Syndication. <laughs> there you go. Number Story one in
0: Hamtramck.
2: First... <laughs> oh, <geez.
0: laughs> Story of the first cruise to the Piggly Wiggly. This is going to be great.
2: To the bowling alley. <laughs> oh,
0: <geez>. oh. <laughs> Well, if you're driving a cruise to the bowling alley, you're
3: stopping – or a PT cruiser, apparently – you're stopping at, at, you know, some sort of a of a place to buy meth before you get to the bowling alley. <laughs> and there's all kinds of wacky adventure you can run into a sitcom with that. So, I mean, you're, you're – you're, yeah. yeah, a font of endless giving right there. Yeah.
0: Whoa. You just earned yourself a uh, executive producer credit. This is <laughs> – uh so yeah. so what is new in your world sir i mean you're, you're obviously you are of uh tremendous busyness uh, and that's 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 my great english skills coming out right now
3: yeah no i mean the big i mean the biggest thing for me was this deal with NHRA, and um that you know we had started talking i i've been you know i've been announcing drag races effectively now for almost half my life i started when i was uh when i was like 20 i'm 38 now and um so it's been this kind of progression, uh, over the last couple of decades. And it really kind of, I never thought I would work for NHRA because of the fact that I grew up at an IHRA track. I worked for IHRA for years, and there was really no opportunity for me to break in there because I wasn't around any NHRA races or anything. And then, uh, New England dragway, which is my home track switched sanctioned to NHRA. Um, and I was able to kind of get in front of some people that, uh, were the right people to hear me and and I started announcing for NHRA during the 2014 season and that's just kind of culminated to where this week they announced that I'll take the job as the lead kind of anchor play-by-play guy in all the NHRA TV broadcast next year. So it's uh, it's a crazy thing, man. It's a crazy thing growing up as a kid on the carpet, you know, Sunday mornings watching American Sports Cavalcade and now I get to be the guy that the kid on the carpet watching Fox Sports is actually looking at that way. So it's kind of a cool deal.
0: Awesome. Congratulations.
1: Yeah, Thank absolutely. You.
2: Congrats. Yeah. So does this mean you're just going to be in the booth primarily or will you be able to get the opportunity to go and do some pit side stuff like you used to?
3: Yeah, so I will definitely be able to escape the uh the, you know, surly bonds of the, the broadcast booth to do stuff in the pits and also be able to jump out every now and again and do some uh still do some stuff from the, you know, live announcing deck uh, at the track too. I don't want to totally get away from that cuz that's, you know, that's where I came from and I think I think Doing that stuff keeps you sharp and everything. So, uh, yeah, I will be able to do more than just stand there and have my, you know, manly chest, neck, and head shown to America. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so
3: is it, is, it, is it in your the contract? 10, I just... there, there, I, there is a minimal amount of torso, lower torso, that needs to be shown per year uh, <laughs> in my contract. So that's, uh, that's, my, that's my out. I can get outside and do stuff. Yeah.
0: So if if we come up with a a one off like a round six podcast belt buckle, the chances of that appearing on camera would be like maybe what one or two events a year.
3: I mean, one or two, and then depending on you know depending on what the contingency value of uh, of further events is, I could probably make that
0: happen. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna have to How come up our, with a chart like one of those, if those there's beef a, charts.
3: Yeah,
0: of if you, there's we're
3: a, sort of you know, if there's a performance clause in there where if I achieve a certain level of events. There's a bonus involved. I'll, I'll be incentivized to get that thing out there more often. Hmm.
2: How about well, like a Greek we... medallion, like <laughs> a one on your neck?
3: Well, you know, <laughs> leave I, your, I feel leave like... your shirt open
2: kind
3: of a little bit. <laughs> I feel like you know, get a little little fur climbing out of there with the medallion. I think you gotta, I think we got ourselves a winner. I mean, this is uh, this is the audience we're looking for, we're looking for a lot of uh, barflies, looking for a lot oh, of people. Yeah, that's that's really who we're chasing here. <laughs> If you you know if you're still if you're still you're rocking that look, you've effectively given up on everything, and that is.
2: <laughs> Where well, Mopar find, guy?
3: <laughs> I find those are the people that enjoy my work the most.
2: <laughs> or your old Mopar
0: guy? <laughs> hey, right, right, whatever.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> oh my god. So, so we can hope that we can hope that well, we can hope that, that Mr. Lones is with us Well, he's still wearing the belt buckle, but he's old enough where it looks like a necklace because his pants are so far up there. See? So well, yeah. So it will it, always be on camera.
3: Right. If I can achieve like a Chris Akonaki level of pants highness by the time I retire, <laughs> I think that that is, you know, if I can maybe enter a Hall of Fame at some point with my high pants and the <laughs> and the pants with the buckle go in.
2: Yeah. I think we all win.
3: When you can right. pull your wallet out
2: by reaching over your shoulder, that's a the pants <laughs> are high enough. Right. If, if if at
3: some point in the future they develop an oddly proportioned mannequin that those pants could be displayed on, I think that's what we need to do. Yeah.
0: I just picture that, you know, that mannequin would have a cool name like Ira Spiderman, you know? <laughs> right.
3: or, or, you know, at this point, I believe we could all enter into some sort of a pact to develop something called the Old mannequin,
0: Ooh. Which, right, Ooh. which we could
3: we, which we could sell to stores to market old man pants on, and we all win.
0: Look
2: wow, we just we just make it where it has that bubble right below the uh, belt line. Yeah. That... <laughs> yeah. yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. No one really needs to know what's happening in that bubble. No, but no, it, no. But it's there. You're just but it's you there. Know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: You could you could do a 3D scan of any one of the attendees from like a Corvette luncheon thing.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We're in the right. silver
3: jacket. <laughs> right.
0: Well, this guy this this one went mean. Uh,
3: oh. <laughs> well, I think well, it's, it's a it's a it's some kind of a generational <laughs> automotive study because we could go to like a Cars and Coffee and get the the 3D scan of the pants hanging off someone's ass. And then we could go to like the old man Corvette luncheon and get the belt neck the neck height belt scan there, and we would cover, you know, we would cover what three to four generations of automotive enthusiasts (laughs) at that.
1: Yeah, just a couple of scans. That's that's pretty amazing. Actually, yeah,
3: it's a very efficient way to get it done. I think. A or the day. Good Sam RV
2: Club where the guys are wearing like the uh, the pantsuits, the, the jumpsuits with the white belt. They're like in line at the buffet at like yeah. four oh five in the afternoon yeah. for dinner.
3: Yeah, you want, well, you got to get there early so the so the uh, the seafood is still on ice. Yeah, you don't want to get there. <laughs> when they, uh, as a percentage of risk, the E. coli potential goes through the moon if you're not there within the first forty five minutes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> When the time comes for you to write your memoirs, please title at least one chapter Room Temperature Shrimp.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I think that was actually going to be the title. It was going to be called Room Temperature Shrimp, A Life. It was going to be the name of the book.
1: <laughs> a life. Yeah,
3: Room Temperature Shrimp, colon, A Life.
0: Yeah. yeah. Perfect. <laughs> So oh my god, where the hell are we gonna go from here? <laughs> this went way off the rails. Um Well let's let let's go back. Um okay, uh it's um it's it's it, it's your birthday. It's literally you're born. Uh what are your first thoughts?
3: <laughs> Boy, it's way colder out here than it was in there. Uh hey, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah i uh you know I was born in nineteen eighty, so I think I immediately grabbed a copy of the wall Street journal and and boned up on uh on Reagan's economic policies. I think that was probably the first twenty five to thirty minutes of life at that point
0: beautiful yeah, beautiful so like now uh did you did you grow up in a house where everyone was into cars? Was that part of your life, or was this something that you kind of brought into your house from outside?
3: Yeah, no, my dad, uh my dad was in the cars uh for his you know, for his whole life. So um he raced uh he was a sportsman drag racer, you know, from the base of the time he got his license, uh really until I was born. He ran or raced with a guy named Ed Fisher up through the late seventies. And it's kind of funny how life works because about a couple of days, I don't know, about a week ago, um there's a New England Dragway kind of, you know, history of New England Dragway Facebook group and this photo got posted of this really cool black and silver Monza that had two names on the door, one of which was Fisher. The other one that people failed to notice was Loans. And this guy, Ed Fisher, was a really well-respected engineer and a guy who actually helped develop some of the time clocks that were used at the track and stuff uh, at the time. But my dad was the guy who drove his race cars. And it was kind of this weird revelation to a lot of people Or I'm like, yeah, that name on there is my dad's name, Loans and Fisher. So um, it's, it's a photo that I don't even know how it made its way to the internet because it's in my parents like photo album at home. And I'm guessing the Fisher family must add a copy of it. Maybe that's how it got out. But, uh, yeah, so he raced all the way through the seventies. And then, um, when I was born, he quit racing, but, uh, was a Pontiac enthusiast. So he, uh, restored a 64 GTO when I was a little kid and we cruise that thing. I mean, we cruise that thing everywhere. Like every Saturday night, every, we used to go to a place called uh, Nick's and natick massachusetts like a little fly uh, fried clam stand that used to be like the spot and it was one of the places that uh you know years back the car craft guys showed up at when they did that series cruising the cruising usa and it was it was where you know it was where i fell in love with cars i mean you pull in there and there'd be everything from like you know normal muscle car stuff to this dude rick fenimore had this crazy ass pro street car that was Typical pro street car of the '90s, where you know, it had a whole bunch of motor hanging out of it. It was probably really slow, but my god, when you're a ten year old kid or whatever, you're looking at this thing like it's the greatest thing you ever seen. So, my dad definitely responsible for both love of drag racing and uh, love of cars.
0: Very cool, very cool. So, did um, did you kind of follow that through your teen years? It was like your first job one of those deals where you know you got a job at the auto parts store because you thought it'd be cool, or yeah, you... so.
3: Yeah, so my, my my first my first first job was uh, working at a Domino's pizza that uh, one of my dad's buddies owned or something. I was like fourteen and then my dad and grandfather operated a pallet and box business for a year, so I would also on the weekends work with him, um, go in there and, you know, bang boards together or do whatever they need me to do. And then like my first actual like my first job after I had a car that I could get myself to was working at the working at the uh, shell station in town and it was owned by The Fernandes brothers, two old Portuguese guys, and it was it. It's one of those things you look back on your you look back on things in your life, and it's like super nostalgic and fun. And the place was like the place was a riot. It was the it was the hangout because a bunch me and my friends worked there. We all like cars. They would let us work on our stuff in the garage at night as long as we didn't leave a mess or you know get ourselves in trouble. So that was a place where. It was like Shangri-La, you know, you're a bunch of like 16, 17-year-old kids, and like these guys are letting you use their garage that's full of tools and a lift and a tire changing machine, and you're in there with doing shit that you have no business doing. And it's great. It was a great, it was a great place to learn. It was awesome.
0: Way cool. Man, so um I know, I know this is kind of like the rote history part of your. Life, but it's it, to me, it's interesting, and I think it's cool to get out there. So, when you went to college, what was your major?
3: I was a journalism and English major.
0: Oh, wow, awesome! Yeah, so what now, when you went into that, what was like, did you have a plan for that, or were you kind of like me where you went, Hey, engineering's cool, and then you're going to engineering and you go, But wait, there's chicks over in fine art.
3: And... <laughs> All mm-hmm. I ever wanted to do was write for car magazines, like from I wanted to be an engineer till I was like nine, and we got to. Uh, you know, equations and math at school. And I went, well, this clearly isn't going to work. So at the same time, I realized that I was completely mathematically deficient. I also realized that the Boston Globe newspaper had an automotive section and that somebody had to write those stories. Somebody had to drive the car. Somebody had to do this. So I put two and two together. I was like, holy crap. And I read National Dragster and Hot Rod and all that stuff since I was really little. And I actually like learned to read on National Dragster, like not a joke, not the like the thing. That was like the thing that I would sit on the couch with and try to sound out words with my parents. Was National Dragster, but uh, it was like this realization: man, someone actually has to do these jobs. So then uh, that's where I kind of focused all my attention. And when I was in college in the you know late '90s, early 2000s, it was like a lot of stuff. And like it continues to be, but a lot of stuff was starting to change. And like I remember telling people like you're not going to have to live in California to do these jobs anymore because that was the whole thing, right? You had to – if you're going to write for Hot Rod or any car magazine, you had to move to California. And it was like in my mind I kept thinking you're going to be able to email these stories to people, right? Like that's how this is going to work. Not that I'm some like Steve Jobs visionary, but it seemed like (laughs) – you know, like if I could email a college sef- professor my paper, I think I could send, you know, 800 words on a Chevelle to somebody that's going to be okay. And uh, <laughs> so that was kind of like my drive. And and I, I always just wanted to, I always wanted to write for car magazines. And that, that was really what set the media side of my life off, I guess.
1: So where did the, where did the speaking thing come from then? Obviously, obviously you, you like to talk. I don't know if you get in yeah. trouble at school talking too much, but but uh, did you take speech classes or were you in drama or anything like that in school or what, where did this come from? The
3: weird thing for me, uh, and I was, I was always super afraid to, to like, I was super afraid to be involved in a lot of stuff. I was, I was always like, I was never like the gregarious, like super out loud kid until, until I got into high school and it was like, you know, you, you're learning about yourself and you're learning about how you interact with people and stuff like that. And it's like, more and more I'm figuring out, you know what, like, I can make people laugh. You know, like, I could get in a group of people and, and kind of and kind of provide maybe a little entertainment and stuff. And I was the type of kid that I interacted with everybody. Like, I was in the band. I played horn. I played horn all the way through high school into college. I was a, a, I was a crummy athlete. You know, I played soccer and ran track and stuff like that. And I was involved in those different stuff. And so eventually I was like, I, I should like run for some sort of class office. So uh, I got elected to be like the class vice president in my junior and I was the class president of my senior in high school. And that required you to get up in front of people and speak. And it was like, I got up there and I started doing it. And I'm like, shit, I can actually do this. I, you know, I, I, I kind of, I went out to, probably wasn't any good at it, but I wasn't afraid to do it. And the announcing part of my life started when I was in college where like, you know, I go to college and we had a motorsports club, which we pulled like we pulled probably the greatest scam in the history of scams at the university of <laughs> Massachusetts because uh, me and a group of other degenerate idiots went in and pitched the, the school on uh, providing uh, a race car for our motorsports club as a recruitment tool for their engineering program, which they are really trying to do. <laughs> so the one, Dude. Yeah. So the one element of this, of this, you know, we go in, we are all have our nice shirts and pants on and we sit down and we're telling all these benefits of how we're going to be out. It was SECA road racing car, how we we're going to be out in front of all these people and all this stuff. And it was going to be great. We get a bunch of attention. And so they, they were all aided up. And so, and so the group of people, which consisted of Me, the journalism major, a kid who was a pre-med person, a kid who was a pre-law person, and I'm not shitting you, a kid who was an art history major, pitched an engineering program. (laughs) 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 They bought it hook, line, and sinker. So they uh, they they gave us a budget. We bought a Volkswagen Rabbit. We converted into a into an SCCA ITC road racing car, and we were off. We were the UMass Motorsports team, and we raced this thing at Lime Rock, at New Hampshire International Speedway, at Watkins Glen at Nelson Ledges, at VIR, and they gave us a budget to go do it. Wow. So the, the, the long end of the story is when I was a junior in college, they, the SECA New England newsletter came out and they said they needed an announcer. And my buddies were like, dude, you gotta, you got to try this. you got to do this. So the very first announcing I ever did was actually road racing. And I did road racing for a year before I got the guts to call a drag strip, which is what I always wanted to do you know, in terms of this type of stuff. And I started at Lebanon Valley. Um, basically, the the very early spring of my senior year of college.
1: Whoa, that's really cool.
2: So I I gotta say, what what's it like trying to announce a road race? It's, is it kind of like a giant horse race that's like two miles long, and then they do it again and again and again, or what? So like
3: so basically the very <laughs> so so like the very first road race I tried to announce was like the very first road race I actually ever paid attention to. (laughs) Because, like, like, you know, when you go to the racetrack with a car that you're competing with, and we were never competing, but we had a race car there, but you're paying attention to what you're doing, and you're not really engaged in all the other stuff. So I go, you know, wandering up to the top of the tower, which at New Hampshire International Speedway is the announcing booth for for the stock car, for the NASCAR track. So you're like, you know, whatever it is, like 150 feet up. You know, you're way the hell up there. And so... I look down and I see, I see the I see like the first gr- group coming out, and I'm like, oh my god, there's like six classes out here. Half of these oh. cars, I don't know what the hell they are. Is that an Alfa <laughs> pro? What is that? Is that a <laughs> Fiesta? Is somebody racing a Ford? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I announced the thing, basically calling uh, car numbers, right? Because I'm like, oh my god, I'm super. Oh, yeah. So, at the end of the day, the guy who ran the racetrack, the track manager at the time actually came up and talked to me, and he said a couple things. He said, one is this isn't a stock car race, so you cannot call these guys by their car number. And I was like, shit. Okay, I don't know any (laughs) of their... I said, so that doesn't help me a lot. But he said, you know, he said, you got great enthusiasm. He said, you know, he said, despite the fact that you clearly had no clue what you were talking about, it was kind of entertaining. He said, you should... He said, definitely keep at it. So, I, you know, I sucked, obviously, the rest of that uh, weekend, and it honestly by the time i was done it, it's like anything you do in your life you train yourself and by the time i was done there would be those those same groups who come out with five or six cars in them or five or six classes in them and i'd be able to tell you not necessarily who was first to last but i'd be able to tell you who was leading each category and mm-hmm. it was a it was an awesome training tool in terms of learning how to pay learning how to kind of lock into things and pay attention to stuff and how you need to you know how you need to just kind of like always Always be looking out the window, which is a weird thing to say if you're like, like I tell this to people who ask me like tips on announcing stuff all the time. It's like I go into the the timing tower at drag strips with guys who stare at a computer screen and there's a car on fire, barrel rolling down the center of the race. And they're like, he's going 94 in the eighth mile. It's like, dude, he's going 94 in the roof. He's jumping. <laughs> <laughs> you need to look out
1: the window. <laughs>
3: I always
2: wondered with, with some of the guys that get like Bob Fry and those guys, they get up in the booth and they're just kind of, they're talking the race, but they're also talking tidbits and making jokes. And he is so good at what he does. And I was always curious if, if he had like a notebook in front of him he would just flip through because.
3: I'm, yeah. I I've only, I only ever worked with Bob like once or twice and he never had that. I mean, he had his, like he had his notes like, Bob kept and continues to keep meticulous performance records uh, in terms of, you know, drivers and their and their basically their their career stats and stuff like that. But he was a he was a great example of like leave the building and get into the pits because that's where all that stuff is. And, you know, the reality is if you if you swing through the pits and take your time and and, and talk to people and come back up, you have a wealth of stuff you can use, you yeah. know, whatever and it and it and it's never. It's always easier than to think in, in many ways in terms of like you go down there and you're like okay I need to go down and catch Robert Hyde and ask him about you know whatever happened last week. Well, on the way you run into someone who says hey man you know this wacky thing happened to me and then you run into somebody else. So by the time you're you, you know you go down there to talk to Robert Hyde, you've talked to thirty people and you're like I'm good for the rest of the weekend. I have material for days now. But Bob was. <laughs> You know, Bob was so good at weaving all that together into a story, which is kind of like you know he was an ultimately listenable guy. You know, yeah,
2: he was he was fun. He was fun to listen to.
3: Yeah, and he still is. I mean, he pops every now and again. Like uh, he does some of the nostalgia stuff still, and he'll uh, he'll do like he comes down to Dallas and does the draw the Drag Racing Association of Women their charity auction. So he'll dive into the tower some for that. But uh, yeah, super great guy, and and really. Um, he is, uh, he is the reason I ended up with a gig at NHRA. So uh, hmm. 2013, NHRA switches sanctions over to um, – or 2012, NHRA switches from IHRA to NHRA. And I happened to be announcing the divisional race that year, the first one back to NHRA sanction. And the legendary Steve Gibbs had come to the track because he was measuring the pits out for his New England Hot Rod Reunion, which would happen – which would happen in 2013. So he was there doing like pit layout and stuff like that. So about three quarters of the way through this weekend, he comes up and he says, "Brian," and I said, uh, <laughs> "I'm like, oh god, Steve? Yes." I'm like, "Yes, sir." And he's like, you know, would you like to uh, announce my race in-, in Kentucky next year?" And I was like, "Whoa!" I was like, "Yeah, hell yeah, I'd love to do that." You know, and I had kind of given up on IHRA after 2011. Things had gone south there, and uh, wasn't it wasn't angry. It just was like, man, this isn't fun anymore. So I really just kind of locked down to be doing regional stuff again in New England. And so he asked me to do that. It was going to be my first kind of trip back out of the area, which is cool. So fast forward to that event. And I'm at the the, the Hot Rod Reunion in Bowling Green, rocking and rolling. And I see Fry come in and he kind of waves. And at that point, I never met the guy. And he comes in. A, he waves to me from race control and goes out and does what he's doing and comes back in the to the announcing area. And he says, uh, I'm Bob Fry. I said, uh, yes. And he said, who the hell are you? <laughs> and so <laughs> I told him who I was, and he says, "Where are you from?" I said, "Well, New England Dragway," and he says, "Well, next weekend's the very first NHRA National event at that track." I said, "Yeah," and so he picked up the phone and called the NHRA office on Monday and said, "You need to get this guy in there to hear him." And you know, I got Bob's stamp of approval, and they sent me in there for the tryout, and and that's how the whole thing came together. But like the cosmic timing of you know running into him. The weekend before that event and having them kind of, you know, having him call up on my behalf was like, I think one of the things I'll be proud of until the day that I die, because obviously he's one of the gold standards at this stuff.
1: Yep. For your home track, even. That's what makes it even cooler. It's like, wow.
3: Yeah. The only uncool thing about that weekend was just the constant uh, wanting of like the constant uh, battle of not crying. Cause I really just wanted the whole weekend. <laughs> I wanted to just burst into tears. <laughs> it, it, it's little New England dragway. It's just you know this place that I grew up at and loved, and I used to sleep. In, I slept in the timing tower there when I worked there in college. I would drive up on Friday, and I, college is two and a half hours away, and I would sleep in the tower over the weekend, and then go back on Sunday nights. And like you're standing there, and the place is jammed full of people, like more people than I'd ever seen there in my whole life. And it's like national TVs there, and it's like this little place that you're so proud of is getting the attention you feel it deserves. And then, you know, you get to have this little tiny piece of it too. It was like it was a it, I mean it was a weekend like I'll never forget. Like it was just like it was you were just bursting with that kind of local pride. You know, it was cool.
1: That is awesome.
0: Way cool. So how does a um how does a trial work for an announcing job, Oh I was I gonna ask the same question.
3: Yeah, so basically <laughs> uh it's a it's a it's kind of a funny thing. Like they'll they'll they have you come in and basically they have you uh you know announce stuff that you if you that if you completely just hindenburg what you're doing you're not harming the show like if <laughs> you humanity. if you yeah if you fly the plane into the mountain calling super gas you're not you're not derailing the show so um so, so you're you're given the you're, you're not you're you're handed, uh, you know you do you do sportsman stuff and which is not demeaning to the sportsman guys but that's just what they do you know so they give you super gas and super comp and they want to make sure you're proficient in kind of what the rules are and stuff like that so and really it's kind of a weird thing where you're everyone's pretending not to be listening to every word you're saying but they're listening to every word you're saying and uh, you just gotta kind of do your thing and you know if you don't uh, if you don't completely you know drive the car off a cliff you you got a pretty good chance of pretty good chance of getting a job i guess
0: So, like, if you go in there and start throwing out all kinds of bizarre color commentary, like, and in the near lane, Ricky Jones, he won't be using his anti-submarine belt today due to a rash he contracted last week (laughs) in Las Vegas. Right. Okay, you don't want to do that. Note to self. Okay.
3: Yeah, historically, I have found rash references never play out (laughs) in America. Uh, Any sort of skin malady, no one (laughs) Okay. Digestive problems kill everywhere. You can, I mean, you want to make IBS jokes or diarrhea jokes. <laughs> you're, you're you're going to be the next McClellan. but don't ever talk about. Uh, you know, you want to, you want to start talking about. It, you want to start talking about eczema. You got no shot at
0: it. <laughs> so, coming up with a nickname for someone like the colitis comet is okay. Right. Yeah. Understood.
2: Correct. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He got out of his suit faster than he ran the car, yeah, <laughs> speaking of
3: runs, I'll see it's, I
2: could do yeah, we could do yeah. this good thing we positioned
3: those Port Johns at the top of there fellas, yeah, yeah exactly yeah.
2: he's utilizing that sand trap like a house cat
3: <laughs> right right, right, yeah, more of uh, yeah the yeah, the Porter Johns were strategically placed in a North Korean missile base, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and and you know not to you know not naming names but since i've been there we've had guys come in and say oh i'd love to give this a shot and they get a shot at it and you're just like you just kind of like okay and you got to kind of grab that guy and be like you need to work on this you know and it's it's a tough conversation to have because you don't want to you know you don't want to discourage anybody from trying and doing stuff but at the same time like one of the analogies I use, some of these guys come in and it's like, how long have you been doing this? So it's like, oh, I've been doing this eight months. And it's like, well, you know, in terms of what in terms of what drag racing is, like nobody announces high school basketball games for eight months and then calls the NBA finals. So, you know, like there is, in my opinion, like, you know, you, there is a value in putting in your time as a local guy and certainly learning the ropes and stuff like that. But, yeah, we've had a couple of guys come in where it's like, we had we had one guy in Topeka, oh God, Topeka, I love you. Uh, so one guy in Topeka <laughs> that came in, and I literally had to stop him halfway through what was going to be a profane, dirty joke, and I was like, "Dude, <laughs> what are you doing?" He's like, "It's a good joke," and I said, "You cannot. T- it's not a good joke, and you can't tell that joke here."
0: <laughs> it, d- it doesn't it fly like, in Topeka. That like, not to work over in Jersey.
3: Right, yeah, it wasn't the you know, it wasn't like the aristocrats or something, but it was, you know, <laughs> yeah.
0: If before the end of the show we don't write our own version of the aristocrats joke for drag racing, we, we sorely missed the boat. We yeah, we have failed everyone at that point. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I I just you know I was I was wondering you know if they handed you you know any kind of a script or you know is it is it live action? Do they have you out at the track when things are actually running, or do you just yeah, have no, to it's, kind of it's imagine during it? the
3: event? You know, it's during the national event. Yeah, oh, you know, that's like oh. yeah. So it's like that. You know, my... Tr- and and the thing was for me like announcing at that event at the home track was like these were guys coming around the corner that I had been I had been calling their runs for fifteen years. So I was you know, it was almost like I was playing with house money or that, that that I knew, you know, you're like a guy that can count cards in blackjack, like every card that would come around the corner. I could tell you what his kid's name was, what his blood type was, <laughs> you know, what his, what his uh, astrological <laughs> sign was, you know, so it was like for me, it was it, it couldn't have happened for me at a more comfortable place now. And, and that was Alan Reinhardt's, uh, you know, one of the guys I work real closely with. And, and he's a smart guy. He's been at this a long time. And you know, one of the pieces of advice he gave me was, he goes, and and he's very perceptive, and he said, you know, this is, obviously this was kind of a softball for you because he knew all the guys. He said when, you know, he said, and this was at the event, he said, I fully expect these these guys to pick you up next year to do stuff. He goes, just make sure that you're never going to be as conversant with everybody around the country as you are with these guys, but make sure when you show up that you're prepared. And, you know, that was a lesson I learned with IHRAs about, you know, pre-race preparation and making sure that you're on top of as much stuff as you can be. But uh, it was cool of him to kind of coach me in that way. Cause, and it was also very smart of him to understand what he was looking at. You know, it was kind of like, aha, you know, you, you know, everybody here cause you've been here 15 years, but wait till you go to, you know, wait till you go to, to uh, Phoenix or something. And you, you're not familiar with the cars, make sure that, you know, at least what what's coming. So it was cool. Yeah. It's uh, it's been a, it's been a neat, it continues to be a good ride.
0: With your writing and everything. Uh, you obviously, you wrote for, and, and you still write for a, a lot of, uh, very well-known titles. I mean, national dragster, Chevy high performance, diesel power, and of yeah. course my favorite Mopar muscle magazine. Sure. Um, that's for you guys. Bastards. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with, with, with that going on, uh, so I'm trying to think here, you you have obviously the, the print magazines going on, but you were well ahead of the curve with everything uh, when you went into, uh, like, Bangshift.
3: Shift. Yeah, so the, the Bang Shift story, um, so back in 2008, uh, David Freiberger left Hot Rod Magazine, and he and Chad Reynolds, uh, along with uh, some investors, started a website called Car Junkie TV, wow. and It was a fact I mean, conceptually it is exactly what you would want. If you're going to, if you're going to launch a website today, an automotive website today is exactly what you, what you would want. Very video heavy. Um, it was, it was unfortunately, two things happened to it. One, it was too far ahead of the curve in terms of that they were bringing really at the time for 08, like nobody was producing video at the level they were in terms of the production quality and stuff, which also in turn is the budget, everything else. Um, so they had uh, a product that a lot of people in the country couldn't actually view at the time because they were they were sending this stuff out at such high quality that a lot of people didn't have internet speed to actually watch it properly. And two, um, the economy collapsed underneath them in November of that year. So I had started working for them. I started freelancing for David in like 2005 at Hot Rod doing stuff. So he knew me and he hired me as one of their news bloggers. And so when the venture capital money that was supporting the site collapsed, um, I continued from like uh, like basically in August, I should say I should say that in September October the money started to go away. That was when the the bottom started to fall out of the economy. And then in November, like they lost all funding. So through the end of the year and actually into the next year, uh, I continued to write blog items for them for nothing just because, one, I wanted to be associated with the site, and two, I'm like, you know, this something's gonna happen with this, and I wanted to continue some relationship, so I just kept, every night I'd send him four or five items, and he would keep posting them, so it made the thing look as though it was still actually functioning when it really wasn't. And um, when, ultimately, the uh, ultimately the um, the site ended up going away, David and I and Chad started what was called Freiberger's Junkyard, and the only asset we got out of that was we got the 2,500-person message board from Car Junkie TV. So that was kind of our little seed of people that we started what was then called Freiberger's Junkyard. Um, six months later, David got offered his job back at Hot Rod. And since we were not making any money uh, on Freiberger's Junkyard, he went back and, and to feed his family. And then Chad and I took took Freiberger's Junkyard, renamed it Bang Shift, and then kind of started creeping along with that and made it into, I guess, what it is today
0: so how was the name Bankshift decided? I mean, I I'd like to hear. It's just one of those stories. We never got a chance to ask Chad that when we had him on. I was always just kind of was what did you guys have like a short list of names or was there like so a it was book?
3: like hundreds and hundreds of names. We would just blast back and forth. Like we would spend days sending emails to each other about you know different things and you know really one of the things like one of the inspirations of it, believe it or not, was Jalopnik. Like we looked at Jalopnik and it was like this it was this combination of words, you know, it was catchy and some guy, and I, I have no idea where this came from. We had some guy that was like a friend of a friend or something. who was some consultancy at internety person was like, make sure the name has some sort of action in it. So we we're trying to come up and think of all these automotive phrases that had action in them. And Bankshift was the one that we just kind of kept coming back to. And it was Chad who actually landed on the fact that, we could sell merchandise with a giant BS on it and we figured that that was probably marketable uh, like oh, that was, that was Chad's <laughs> like that was Chad's realization was like nice. I was thinking of the name and then he thought man BS like we could sell this BS logo and so that is how we ultimately one of the ones we almost uh Junkamotive it, it can Junkamotive was a finalist that we didn't end up going with <laughs> which I really liked Junkamotive until what killed that was we talked to God, I forget. We talked to one of the, like, uh, executive owner guy at one of the aftermarket companies that we were kind of asking the questions about, and he said, if you put if you put junk in the name of that website, I won't spend money at it. And he goes, if I won't spend money on it, then a lot of people probably won't spend money on it. Hmm. So we said, scrap the junk. So that <laughs> so yeah. we went. Uh, we ended up with BankShift, and, it, I mean, it definitely worked
0: out for us. Well, good thing it wasn't a, a site based on, you know, like, man caves, and you called it, like, manjunk.com. That would have been... <laughs> <laughs> right. But
3: probably a more valuable url at this point you know? i wouldn't <laughs> doubt it I,
0: yeah. although I, I have to say the uh one of the things that always drew me to Bankshift and wanting to have you know a bank Shift t-shirt was the fact that i share those initials and growing up with those man oh it, god it, it, it's a blessing and a curse i can imagine yeah definitely you know does what it says says what it does and... <laughs> yeah
3: except no substitutes yeah
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah, we almost yeah, called sorry. our show 100% BS.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uncut. Yeah. It was just <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
1: Jeez. Well, I was going to ask because you, you started writing, you've been writing all this stuff, and, and it kind of has into into doing TV stuff. Now, did they, did they want you for your uh, stunning good looks or for your voice or what, what was the uh, – Yeah, what, I mean, well, let's that? be
3: honest here. You know, my rugged handsomeness has led to pretty much every opportunity that I've ever had in life, uh, starting at a very – no. Uh,
1: it's <laughs> it's the tan. That. It's, it's yeah. the tan is what it is.
3: I am, uh, I am an Irishman. I, uh, <laughs> tan, I tan like a lobster does in a pot of water. I go from <laughs> a, a, a deep crimson to a pink. Uh, it's very flattering trust me uh my people my people were designed to live under a, a murky sky and 55 degree weather for their whole lives so sun is our problem. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, no the tv stuff for me um so the tv stuff for me actually started as an offshoot of nhra so um you know i'd done like i had done video work with with hot rod for a few years like hot rod used to have this thing called hot rod unlimited like long before they had you know, motor trend and all this other stuff going on. Like they were launching these, like just kind of web shows. And so I did a several of those where I go and like, I went to Larry Larson's shop and and this stuff's old. Like you can, you can still find it on YouTube, but um, that was kind of my first like professional level video stuff. And then what happened for me was NHRA uh, has a pro mod class. Uh, A lot of people love the pro mods and they have their own separate TV show. So before NHRA took all their TV production in house, they had a separate entity that was making the show called Masters Entertainment. So my second Gator Nationals, uh, they were like, hey, we need someone to be the top-end reporter on the ProMod show, and since there's no money involved, and since the only thing anyone's going to see is your hand holding a microphone, why don't you do it? And I said, uh, okay, that sounds great to me. <laughs> so so I became the top-end reporter for the ProMod show, which literally I was like the teacher from Charlie Brown. Like No one saw my face. It was just like, uh, you know, a disembodied voice asking a question, and then a driver speaking into a microphone with my pasty hand holding it. And <laughs> the cool thing was, uh, I, I did that for a, a two seasons. And then the company that does that show that was doing that Pro Mod show makes, you know, the show called Motorhead Garage, which is like one of these Sunday morning, just kind of, you know, fix it between the commercials, like, here's a bunch of new products type of thing. And they asked me to do that. So um, I've been doing that for like three seasons and then off of the back of that, like doubling back toward NHRA, when NHRA took that stuff in house, I had already been doing the pro mod show stuff and they were like, okay, well, since you're already doing this, why don't you, why don't we move you into the booth and you can be the color commentary guy in that show. So then I started doing the color commentary on that show and then, uh, filling in on the Lucas shows and stuff like that. And then this whole motor trend thing starts up. And, you know, again, my relationship with Freiberger comes back in and he's like, hey, we're trying to come up with these show concepts, like throw some ideas at us. And if, you know, if we like any of them, maybe we'll try to make a pilot. And so one of them was this idea I had for what ultimately was called put up or shut up or is called that. And it's just a racing show where we come up with either cool matchups or wacky matchups or cool people and and do something with them. And each each episode kind of highlights something different. You know, we do a lot of drag racing stuff, but we also do road racing and go-karts. And we drag race pulling tractors this year. And it's done really well. You know, it's done great. And and we're looking at a third season to to get going on that uh, over the wintertime, which is cool. And then doubling down on that was this $3,000 Hoopty Challenge thing, which is starting on Facebook Watch in December, which is, you know, this is, again, an offshoot of Put Up or Shut Up where – conceptually they had this idea they thought me and David would be good together because of what we do at drag week and just which is basically just make fun of each other hard enough that we have to go to therapy after we're done and uh <laughs> so we continue that and uh so that the, the, the Hoopy Challenge show is coming on Facebook watch in December and it's literally a show where it is a Don Rickles routine with shitty cars in the middle of it <laughs> <laughs> The uh the we told all the competitors and the contestants at Hootie Challenge, like, please, like we're going to make fun of your cars. Like that is <laughs> that is what we're gonna do, guys. So if that is bad if bad for you, don't come. And they all came and I remember like the, one of the episodes, I walked up to a guy's car and I looked in and I said, The wiring in this thing looks like downtown Calcutta and the man the guy was <laughs> the guy, the guy was, and the guy was standing behind the camera pumping his fist because he was like, Yeah you're talking about my car, you know? (laughs) And it literally is like, this is what Don Rickles, this is like this, that was this guy's life. Like Don Rickles would say the most horrible things about people and they would die because it was Don Rickles saying it. And um, yeah, it's all just, it's, it's, it's a weird daisy chain of stuff, you know? And it's, you know, I, I don't know if there's some sort of mathematical equation to figure out how it all worked, but yeah, there's a, it's just a weird chain of stuff. And I guess the, the fill in to all this is like up until from from two thousand two to 2000, from two thousand two to November eleventh, two thousand eleven, I was working full-time jobs outside of all this stuff. I was a truck driver, I was a delivery guy, I was a manager guy, I was did operations management, fleet management, and then finally in November of two thousand eleven, I just had to had enough of all that stuff. Bank shift was certainly not making enough money to live on yet. But it was trending like it could if we gave it more attention, and that's what we kind of we my wife and I just kind of jumped off the cliff and did it but you know i I'm like you know definitely appreciative of what's going on because like it wasn't like I've been doing this solo the whole time like i I've, I've you know I did work for you know a decade doing stuff that made me want to you know made me want to go punch someone in the face every day <laughs> <laughs>
1: Brian, anything, <laughs> Brian? Yeah. Alex,
2: I got a
0: shoe uh, on my tongue. Uh,
2: hey.
1: Alex, I
0: would like to read a prepared yeah. statement. I am yeah. fortunate <laughs> for the things that have been presented to me.
3: I was a, uh, I was managing. Uh, so when I my first job out of college, like I had a journalism degree, so I could have worked for the local newspaper for like sixteen bucks a week, or I could use my, my commercial driver's license because I worked in college. I got a CDL because I worked at the fleet garage on campus fixing buses and trucks. So I got a CDL so I could drive the trucks around and buses that I would, was attempting to, you know, to fix. And, uh, so this job was, I was a water delivery guy. You know, I w- I got in the truck and went out and slung 455 gallon bottles of water every day. And if you can believe this, the, the, it's remember i live in massachusetts so we have this thing called winter here and this is yeah. walk which can, which has this weird habit of becoming solid when it spends a lot of time below below 32 oh, degrees geez. so like they would load the trucks at night and in the wintertime we would show up you know you get to work at four o'clock in the morning and you'd have to shovel your truck out and then you would have to count your load and leave and like you'd be delivering bottles of water at people's houses that were just frozen solid it was It sucked. I mean, it really legitimately sucked. Here's your bottle of ice. Yeah,
2: you're like the uh, the turn-of-the-century ice delivery guy.
3: (laughs) Yeah, but it didn't have those cool tongs. (laughs) Right, right.
0: Oh, come on. I I grew up in Buffalo. I know what cold is, too, and it's like your hands kind of act like tongs after a certain point of being outside. You You don't have any dexterity whatsoever.
3: Buffalo people are the toughest people in America, and no one will ever convince me differently. You know, those people.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, boys. See? Dude, wow. Those
1: guys,
3: those guys got seven feet of snow in a day a few years ago, yeah. and they were like, hold up a second. And like six hours later, they were like, you know, eating chicken wings and drinking beer, watching the Bills again. It was insane. <laughs> it did not slow them down for more than like three days.
0: That's, yeah, we, we were we brought up that way. So, uh, yeah, it's either, it's either a combination of being really tough or just really bored. <laughs>
3: A lot of great drag races in that area, man. You guys, the, the Buffalo area has produced like some of the best door slammer racers ever up there. So,
0: oh, yes, it has. And uh, you know, we had for our little Lancaster dragway that we had. That was a that was a fun venue.
3: Oh my god, you had Jim Audy up there. You had yes. uh, Stowick, Mike Stewicky. Yeah, of course, Mike Janis. Uh, god, Swinyarski, the I mean, Solemies. Yeah. God, yeah, those that
0: were little... good days. Yeah, that was a fun place to live. You know, I mean, well, aside from the winter, which lasted from uh, let's see, uh, late August through uh, early July.
3: Yeah, but there's a there's a there's a six week period in there where it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, uh, six maybe weeks. Four weeks, and then it gets humid. Yeah, that's... right.
3: And then the flies come.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the
3: flies come. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, the brief shiny moment between winter and the horse flies is just to die for.
0: <laughs> it's
3: like summer in Paris. It really is that yeah. with more rust.
0: It smells a lot like summer in Paris if you're in the Tanawan. Right. Right. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Our brief trek to the northeast. I like it. You've got uh, Put Up or Shut Up going on. Um, yes, which, which is just entertaining as all get out. Um, oh yeah, man you got you got the new stuff coming up. Where do you see yourself, say, three years down the road, five years down the road? I, you know, I
3: ultimately, ultimately, I really want uh, this NHRA <laughs> thing to have longevity. You know, I look at the people that have had the job in the past and the people that I I see as the kind of voices that I grew up with and I look at what they were able to do and I really hope I can have that sort of, you know, longevity with it. Um I would like to be on this podcast three years from now talk about how we've had how the last three years have been great and how we've done all kinds of fun stuff and we've, you know, moved the programming forward and and kind of presented drag racing in a cool way that has engaged more fans. So that's that's the simple answer I guess. Uh you know, I'd like to con- continue to see Bangshift uh, you know, grow and thrive and do the stuff we've been doing there and, and hope to, uh, you know, kind of continue with some success there. And I want to have a good hot rod in the garage. Finally, like I, we moved to a new house. So I like, I had a, I had a 68 C 50 wrecker truck that I used to cruise around in twin boom. Uh, that's all adventure <laughs> into itself. That thing was, that thing was freaking awesome. Uh, yes. I had a, and at the same time, I had an 87 box Caprice that I bought from a guy, pennsylvania is an old state police car that i put a like a 460 horse stroke or small block full hotchkiss suspension 275 tires on the corners would autocross that thing which was hilarious um but i sold all that stuff because we moved to a neighborhood where i couldn't look like i had a meth problem so that that stuff (laughs) and so now i'm saving money to buy something and just to get the garage put back together so yeah hopefully in a couple years i got a cool hot rod in the garage and we're still cranking away in the nhra stuff and Honestly, I hope I'm cranking away on all this other stuff, Um, especially the, you know, put up or shut up is a neat thing because, you know, I get to conceive those ideas and then we get to actually do them. So that's a pretty satisfying thing.
0: I I just hope that in three years you're on this podcast and uh, we're all discussing how we're sitting around polishing our Emmys. Yeah, no, exactly. I I don't mean mean that as a euphemism. I mean that as like, you know. (laughs) Okay, I did mean it as a euphemism. the the show's (laughs) going to take a weird turn in three to five years. (laughs) Lots of polishing. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, but I've I've watched a bunch of the episodes of Put Up or Shut Up, and I I really enjoy the show. Uh, And I've noticed that you guys are starting to not only be drag racing, you guys were doing a lot of other things, too. Do you guys have anything planned that's really off the edge? That's not... the conventional stuff that we're normally used to seeing
3: yeah so two concepts i'm two concepts that we're trying to like finalize now is one uh which is not like we're not inventing anything here but it's like visually it's a great thing which is trophy trucks on a road course so uh trophy trucks on asphalt i think you know i know robbie uh gordon has the the stadium super truck series uh that, that do a bunch of stuff so we're trying to do something along those lines um and then the one I'm working on now is I want to get a very high-profile IndyCar driver uh, and basically insert him into a local ice racing group. So a uh, very high-profile IndyCar <laughs> driver will effectively like walk up with his helmet and be like, hey. And then in my mind, he gets his ass kicked by every guy that goes out there and is drinking beer before and after he gets in and out of his car. But it would be a fun <laughs> exercise to see if this guy is like, actual racing skills would compete with people who are out there just banging fenders on a frozen lake.
0: The only way you could outdo that would be these three words, private space program. (laughs) (laughs) Just a a solid race to the, you know, race to the moon. Done. Put up and shut up. This would be (laughs) awesome. The thing is,
3: (laughs) I had one of those and I was a child of those Estes rockets.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Just have a show, Capture the Flag. You got to fly to the moon, grab the American flag, and bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, that is if they did actually land up there. That's a whole uh, other episode.
0: Wow. Oh, this could be. Oh, you well, could the trick is endings. driving to the
2: Hollywood soundstage to go pick up the flag and coming back.
0: <laughs> See? That's the win. Team A just gets duped kind of like the Russians. They're spending all their money bankrupting themselves trying to get to the moon. The other guys are sitting (laughs) in traffic on the 405.
1: (laughs) 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 Uh, Well, I got to, I got to, I got to talk about something else that Brian does. Um, this is actually, this is actually kind of a cool thing. I, I live vicariously through you on this one. Um, yeah you know, i look I look forward to your posts on on Facebook when you put them up there, but you started doing your little uh your little deal and trying to find old abandoned drag strips oh sure yeah and yeah it's like dude that is so freaking cool you're i mean it's like something's it like it's like a jungle trek. it's like where the heck is he at? there was a track in there, it looks like a sidewalk, and apparently there was a drag strip in there at one time
3: yeah they uh so i've been at this point I've been to a total of 164 racetracks, like living and dead. So that counts, you know, NHRA tracks that we race on and then places that have since gone out of business. So, um, you know, a lot of it is through like some historical research, a lot of it, like Brett Kepner is one of my good friends. So he'll, he's been to hundreds and hundreds of places. So occasionally he'll be like, Hey man, where are you going? And send me some GPS coordinates of places that he's found. Um, but it's like it's a neat thing to me because like a lot of a lot of these places are like in residential neighborhoods now. So like Alton Dragway, um, where, you know, Chris Caramacinas made that, you know, highly disputed run in 1960, whether he went 200 or not. Uh, right. It's now or had it,
2: Hydrazine or not.
3: Exactly. Is, <laughs> yeah. is a trailer park. And the drag strip is the road. It is still a divided road with a median in the center. Um, that is where the trailers are. You know what I mean? So it's like you could drive down Alton Dragway, right lane or left lane, and you're in a trailer park.
1: Wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of them like that. A lot of them have been turned into residential streets and stuff. And a lot of them are still, you know, a lot of them are out there in different forms. Like they're just in the middle of a farmer's field or something like that. It's crazy.
0: Well, have you Have you ever watched the show Ancient Aliens?
3: I've never watched it, but I'm certainly familiar with the meme that features that guy all the time.
0: Well, that's you kind know, of <laughs> yeah. where I was going to go with this. You could watch a couple episodes of that, and I'm just—I'm not saying you should change your coverage at all, but by all means, I mean throw one in there, like maybe every—I don't know—April first. <laughs> That'd be <laughs> perfect. Just throwing it out there. I... <laughs> these are these are golden ideas. I'm yes. here to help.
1: 100 and so, so what's your goal 160 160
3: how many uh like 164 right now and i guess my, you know my goal is just to see as many of them as i can I, You know, i don't really have a number i want to stop on and, uh as i get to continue to go around the country doing a bunch of drag racing stuff it provides opportunity to you know see a bunch more of these things so it's cool
2: have you been able to take many pictures of these ones that you've been to
3: yeah. Yeah. If uh, anybody that's on like my Facebook's kind of an open page so you can look at it, but I have, I post, I tend to post photos yeah. when I make a visit to any of those tracks. Yeah. Cause that'd
2: be a cool website just on its own. You know, people just throw in pictures at certain places. It's just... it,
3: and there are, there are several out there. I mean, there's been a couple of books posted, uh, book, books made, I should say about, a, you know, abandoned drag strips and stuff like that. Guys have done a good job. Tommy Lee Bird did one and, um, I forget who did the second one, but yeah, there's, uh, there's two good ones out there right now, but it's a it's a fun topic, and I'm certainly not the only guy out there hunting.
1: Yeah. See, yeah, like If you go to, like, say, off the 10 freeway, if you go behind Ontario Mills and uh, at the 15 and go to the 10, and there's a whole bunch of restaurant, restaurant row, that would be the straightaway at Ontario uh, Ontario Motor Speedway years ago, back when they used to have the Super Nationals.
3: Oh, that's insane. I didn't know that.
1: Oh, yeah. So next time you're oh, out here at Pomona, it's yeah. right there off the 10 freeway. I mean, it's As you merge onto right the there. 10
2: from the 15 freeway, it's right on your right-hand side. Yeah,
1: it's right there.
3: Oh, that's an amazing deal. I, didn't, I know that uh, the uh, what is it the Miller Brewery is the or the, the old Irwindale. That's Irwindale, Irwindale right? exactly.
1: yeah. yeah. yep. That's yep. that's the starting side of, of Irwindale right there. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's amazing yeah. stuff, and especially Southern California. You know, there's so many in Southern California that are hidden in plain sight. I guess you know industrial yeah. sites or shopping malls. Now it's crazy.
2: Yeah. Yep.
3: I yeah, think take, uh,
2: or- Orange County became a storage facility, like
1: a mini warehouse place, there's right? There's a bunch of, there's a, what's like a bunch of little, like a bunch of little industrial, I'm not sure what it all is, but if you take the toll road down, you know, coming off the hill there, the 133, where it crosses the, uh, the five right there, that was the end of the track where the toll road's at. That is the end. Mm. So.
0: Wow. There you go. Maybe you could combine the two, do one of those, you know, abandoned shopping malls turned into, you know. <laughs> ooh. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think My wife would would hunt some of those out. She's she's
1: quite the mall. Uh, <laughs> See, next time we come out, we may, have, to... we may have to meet up and go out to Riverside Raceway where that was at, and all, all these places were. Fontana. Yeah. Fontana. Oh, dude, I remember going out to Fontana when I first moved out here, first moved back here. And, uh, yeah,
0: that's just right.
1: I know where that's at.
0: How awesome would that be? You could stand up by like the cash register at an old navy and announce you know
1: <laughs> yeah. that historic
0: race that and announce oh, yeah. wow. there's it youtube gold winning the two hundred mile an hour meet back
3: in what sixty five
0: there you go perfect,
3: <laughs> as security was dragging me away yeah.
0: <laughs> that's YouTube gold. I believe that is three grand ideas that you've been given in this show, so yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, I feel like we need to draw up a contract at this point. Yeah.
0: <laughs> when you're warning others not to come on I mean when you're telling others right, about how they right. should come on the show. you're yeah, right. Oh my gosh. So oh my gosh. I know um at the beginning before we went on air, we were talking just a little bit about uh what we're getting into, like uh factory stock and pro stock and figuring out where those classes are going. Um I don't don't know. Do you want to talk a little bit about that or would you rather shy away from any opinions on that?
3: No, no, no. It's fine. I mean, I think, uh, you know, with the pro stock situation, obviously next year, they've gone to an 18 race schedule from from the 24 that they have been running. And um, the effort there is, of course, to, you know, conserve, uh, conserve teams and try to conserve costs to some degree, uh, minimizing, you know, or not minimizing, at least lessening travel and, you know, wear and tear and stuff like that if they have uh you know less uh, races in theory you'd have less you know parts usage stuff like that it it was a decision that the teams had a say in it wasn't uh, dictated to them um there was uh, some options i guess laid out on the table if you will and that was the one that the majority of teams decided to take and then you got factory stock showdown which i believe is increasing i think it's increasing one race next year to be an 8 race series i think it was 7 races this year um and that is uh To me, like in my lifetime in drag racing, that's one of the classes that is like really caught fire in terms of the public, uh, perception of it. And it speaks to people in a way that pro stock doesn't because you're looking at factory bodied cars with factory based power plants in them, which obviously was where pro stock began. And then, you know, we can argue that grumpy Jenkins changed the course of that in 74 with his car. And then it all, it's all been downhill since there. But, um, Factory Stock Showdown appeals to fans in a much different way than Pro Stock does because of that, because of three brands and because of the factory-based, you know, factory-based nature of the cars.
0: Right on. I mean, I always, I kind of sat around and thought about this a lot. I wonder if, you know, any other car brand is going to catch on to the whole horsepower war that we have right now. You know, I, I mean... I'm not a foreign car guy, but I think it'd be really interesting to see Lexus step up and say, "Look at, we're going to try our hand in a muscle car," you know, and, and plop down some 1,100 horsepower, you know, twin-turboed monster that you know well, doesn't come the, with turn signals. I think the thing that the thing that
3: may happen there, and it, it would be a long shot, but you know, obviously the Supra is coming back, oh, yeah. so Toyota is reintroducing the Supra, so the Supra would fit every guideline of the category. It would have a six-cylinder engine in it that would be boosted. Now, every other engine in the category is a boosted eight-cylinder. So uh, TRD does have an active presence in drag racing. You know, they, TRD has engineers at every NHRA race that, works with the, that work with the Toyota teams in Funny Car and in Top Fuel to some degree, but mostly in Funny Car. Um, they have guys that do all kinds of simulation for them and all kinds of work like that. So it wouldn't surprise me, per se, to see Toyota approach NHRA and, and do something with the Supra. I think it would be cool and I think it would ramp up the class kind of even another notch to give the domestic versus uh imported rivalry but uh yeah I'd love to see that.
0: Right on. And the, the weird question I have for you if you could uh if you could watch any two things race what would they be? I just I just wanted to throw one of these weird questions and yeah, in it's like want... if you were a flower what kind of flower so, would like... you be? One of
3: the things I missed the boat on by being too young to get to see it was when they had the old uh, Winston Showdown where they ran the Nitro Funny Cars versus the Top Fuelers on a handicap. So I would like to see Top Fuel versus Nitro Funny Car on a handicap. Um, I would also, you know, as a put-up-or-shut-up concept that we've talked about, running a Nitro Funny Car to 1,000 feet versus a Radio versus the World Car to 660 in the other lane because they run virtually identical elapsed times. So you'd have one in, in... the guys at CompuLink said that they can build the software to do it, but you would have a thousand-foot finish line for the funny car and six sixty for the radio versus the world car, leaving heads up. It would be pretty epic.
1: Whoa, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yes.
0: Man, I was I was gonna say you know either that or like Usain Bolt versus uh, Oprah Winfrey <laughs> yeah. to the uh... handicap. <laughs> No, no handicap, no handicap. In fuel
3: alters, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. You get a Hemi, and you get a Hemi, yeah. You get a Hemi, yeah. I like her show even more now. This is yeah. <laughs> oh, <Hey. laughs> like Seabiscuit
2: versus
0: Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, wait. Seabiscuit present <laughs> day. That that wouldn't be a. Very fair What's race.
2: That? What's that?
0: Sea biscuit? Like present day? Are you gonna put like sea biscuit on like roller skates or something? Well, well,
3: I feel like Evan, uh, rather Ellen's uh, proclivity for slacks may slow her down to some degree. <laughs> that may be, be a performance disadvantage.
0: Uh, oh boy! <laughs> I just think it's somewhere on mid-track. Just have her thighs burst into flames. Right. Yeah. she yeah.
3: Put a couple of cylinders out there, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh man. Thanks a lot. Now this is gonna be an edited episode. Yeah, no doubt. There you go. I was gonna make that? a I was gonna make a corduroy joke in there, and you took it all weird. Okay. Sick. But man, I, I I cannot say thank you enough for your time tonight, sir. No, it's been a, it's been a riot.
3: Uh, it's always good to always good to laugh. You guys are you guys are hilarious, and I'm, thank you for having me on the show. I know a lot of guys that have uh, done the show previously. You've had you know Strope and those guys on here, and, and McGaffin, and a bunch of guys that I you know certainly respect with what they do. So I appreciate you uh, including me in that uh, in that cadre now.
0: Well, awesome. It was our pleasure. We've been we had talked at the very beginning. You, your name was on our on the short list. And uh, I'm sorry it took this long to get to you.
3: No, it's all good, man. This work, time worked out perfect. Uh, got a couple of days here at the house to hang out and relax and going on a vacation with the family in a few days. So it's been great. Perfect.
0: Well, I hope you yes, guys thank have a you. great time. Thank you
2: again, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you.
0: All right. Thanks, dudes. Thank you. Thanks. You have a great night, sir. I'm out of here. Thanks, all man. Right. See you. <laughs> all right. Bye wow well, I, I i guess uh even though I'm the mopar guy wearing a red shirt, I somehow survived to the end
2: <laughs> on the landing party
0: away <laughs> <laughs> party for one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, i well I I, not, I I don't care if you guys had a good time. I had a damn good time <laughs> it was a great time I had
1: fun absolutely
0: and uh i I can't say thanks enough, man. It was it was great to hear his stories and and get a little bit of insight too. You know, for anyone out there who's looking to become an announcer, um, now you kind of have an insight as to what you're looking forward to in a uh, uh, what do you call it a tryout. You know, as 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 Alex said uh, off the air, <laughs> your your description of what you thought a tryout was is a little bit different.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yes, nobody sitting in there throwing a tire at you. (laughs) Dark room, blindfold, waterboard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Some kind of really horrendous, you know, version of you know who's on first. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I can't say thanks enough to uh, a a guy who is obviously busy as all get out and made some time for. Uh, a little show like ours and uh, like we said during the show too, hopefully in three years we'll all be back here, you know, polishing our Emmys and uh, talking about, you know, episode thirty seven.
1: That's right. Maybe we can maybe maybe the hugeness of our show will uh we'll make Brian we'll make Brian a big celebrity someday. Yeah, I hope. think uh, we'll all be saying I remember him when. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we should
0: have done. We should have had him record in a uh, an intro for us where he's constantly clearing his throat, <laughs> doing his me 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 me.
2: The red growth rolls down the river. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> well played. <laughs>
0: well, hell, uh, I. <laughs> I I was speechless after this one, which is funny when we had an announcer on. So um, uh, thank you again for for joining us. Thanks for listening, and uh, thanks for supporting us out there. Um, At the end of this episode, as always, uh, I am still Brian.
1: I'm still Brad. And I'm Alex.
0: And by golly, it's been a pleasure. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at wwwround And if you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on youtube.com. I'm not even supposed to be here tonight.
3: Hey, everybody, it's Brian Loans. You're listening to the Round Six podcast, and it's worth every penny you pay for it. Hey, everybody, it's Brian Loans, and you are listening to the Round Six podcast. Why? I have no idea. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> because it's free.
2: <laughs> <laughs>